from Studio B in Athens, Ohio, you're listening to Sports Beat on WOUB 1340 with Luke Steinert and Claire Geary. Now, here's your host, Luke. Sports Beat 1340 WUB, February 27th is it's just two weeks away from spring break. I know every student on Ohio University's campus looking forward to spring break in the middle of week nine uh, would be spring break. We are in the middle of week seven, I believe, right now uh, of the spring semester of 2020. Claire Geary behind the glass with us. Uh, no one actually in the studio. Tommy Garverick is going to be in probably within the minute, if I had to guess. He had to find a parking spot outside of Schoonover Center. Uh, Taylor Jedrzejczak not going to be on Sportsbeat today with us. Uh, I believe this is the one day that he had to work this week. So. That's very sad. He's such a longtime standing person for this show. I think he's only missed like two or three for Sportsbeat. I think it was because – I think it's literally because he's covering both games this weekend for the Ohio Bobcats men's basketball and women's basketball. So that's two games. And I believe that this is the only day that he could work besides that. So, uh, what, like I just said, it within the minute, uh, Thomas Garvick walks through the door as well as Jake Ramada. As Jake will get ready to get in here as well. We'll start with some big stories first. Something especially for you, Tommy. I know we've talked about it personally sure. in our times. Uh, the Ohio football team released their 2020 schedule, mm-hmm. and it's a schedule where there's only two road games in non-conference play at Boston College and then at Texas State. And that Texas State name sounds familiar for some because in 2016, the Bobcats opened up against them, the other Bobcats from Texas State, here in Peden Stadium, and fell in a triple overtime game, 56-54. to And it's a chance for the Bobcats to, well, the Ohio Bobcats, to get that revenge on the Texas State Bobcats. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating. I know last year, I think the schedule may have come out a week sooner, so I know that a lot of uh, fans in the Mid-American Conference were eager to see the schedule. I know a lot of Bobcat fans were waiting. But, yeah, I, I mean, as you alluded to, it's an interesting non-conference schedule highlighted with uh, Marshall coming in for the Battle for the Bell. That was one of the best games uh, of the season for Ohio last year in a losing effort in Huntington, a 33-31 final, so a chance for the Bobcats to avenge that game. But like you said, they go to Texas State, they go to Boston College, so there's not really an easy game besides the home opener against uh, NC Central. Yeah, so the non-conference, like Tommy said, NC Central, home opener Saturday, September 5th in Peden Stadium. Then they go to Boston College on the 12th, come back home to face the Marshall Thundering Herd on the 19th, and then away at Texas State on September 26th before Maction starts, not midweek Maction, but the first four games of the Bobcats in Mid-American Conference play on Saturdays, the 3rd of October at Toledo, the 10th of October versus Eastern Michigan. That is homecoming. Uh, October 17th at Miami as the Bobcats look to avenge their last two losses to the Red Hawks. And then the final Saturday game for the Bobcats versus Bowling Green on October 24th. And then midweek match in the final four games, three Wednesdays, one Friday, Wednesday, November 4th at Central Michigan, the first time that the Bobcats visit Mount Pleasant since 2016. The Bobcats then go on the road once again, Wednesday, November 11th at Kent State, and then two final games at home at Peden Stadium to finish up the regular season, November 18th, Wednesday versus Buffalo, and then Friday, November 27th, right after Thanksgiving versus Akron. It seems like that Thanksgiving week game is always Akron. Is that a a constant schedule thing? I know it has been the three years I've been here, but I feel like that's something that's constant. Yeah, it's interesting because Akron came here two years ago on on senior day, and then last year um, Ohio ended their regular season in Akron to get to 6-6 and to get to bowl eligibility. So, yeah, it's interesting that Ohio will be ending with Akron again. I think, Luke, for me, the biggest thing that just jumps out the schedule is the uh, the Mac did Ohio no favors. Uh, three of their first four games in conference play are on the road, including four of their first six. They end end the season with two home games against Buffalo and Akron. But for a team that's going to be going through some transition, especially at the quarterback position, uh, if I was a betting man right now, I would say that Curtis Rourke, the the younger brother of um, Ohio football great 
Uh, Nathan Rourke will be the starting quarterback, but there will be a competition in the spring, but Curtis, not sure what his status is going to be. He had um, season-ending shoulder surgery towards the end of the season after the Bowling Green game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but yeah, there's really no gimmies. I mean, they have to go at the defending champion of the MAC in Miami, the runner-up in Central. They go at Kent State. Kent is going to be a very, very good team in, in the MAC East once again. They, they were a team on the rise. They had a very good season this past year. That's not going to be easy. And going to Toledo to play in the Glass Bowl is never an easy game. So there's really not a road game in the MAC that you look and say, yeah, Ohio's going to be able to win that game easily. So it, it'll be interesting. I think some for some fans, you're going to have to temper expectations. I know that the past two seasons, Ohio was picked to win the MAC. And obviously last year going 6-6, six and six, that was not what a lot of fans had in, in, had anticipated. Excuse me. And so it'll be interesting to see how this team develops early on. I think there are going to be a lot of growing pains offensively, especially with a new quarterback. So it'll be fun to uh, watch it, sadly, as an alumni of the school and not be a reporter for the team. The biggest thing that I look at that schedule is, like you said, four out of the first six games on the road, it's the first Matt game. It's at Toledo. At Toledo is a place that it seems like Ohio has never really played well in any sport, let alone football. Sure. And it's going to be that test where it's the Bobcats, it's their first test on the road in the Mid-American Conference. Like we said, we are gonna. We don't really know who's going to be the quarterback. We know that there's going to be some growing pains for this Frank Solich team. And it's going to be a very good aspect of what we think the Bobcats are going to be in Mid-American Conference play. Because Toledo, yes, they were picked to win the West Division this year. Both uh, Ohio the East, uh, Toledo the West, neither of them making the Mid-American Conference Championship game. And Toledo, it seems, is one of these teams that is always going to compete in the Mid-American Conference. They're always going to be at least mediocre or better. And this is a team that Ohio, we don't know what's going to happen, like I've like we've already said. And mm-hmm. it's a good vantage point for what we can expect for Ohio in that first Mid-American Conference game. Yeah, I mean, it is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I think Eastern on homecoming, it's going to be interesting to see how Ohio responds to that after uh, falling to NIU last year. I know that homecoming is always one of the bigger games of the season for Ohio. Um, But, yeah, I think the only good thing about their road schedule in conference play, the only game that's tough on a traveling standpoint is playing in Central Michigan on a Wednesday up up in Mount Pleasant. But, other than that, I mean, at least three of the four road games are in state, so that is a is a plus. But it's going to be a lot of uh, early tests for this team, so it'll be interesting to see what uh, Frank Solich can do with this uh, with this team. Frank's sixteenth year, fifteenth year. What do you, do you know, Jake? What's the I number? I think fifteen. I think it's fifteen. I believe it's fifteen. Um, I we'll look that, it up. But but Frank Solich in his over fourteenth year of his tenure at the Ohio Bob, at Ohio University with the Ohio Bobcats football team and we've talked about it enough on this show what Frank Solich's legacy has been and what Frank Solich has done for this program turning it into a program that was not the best mediocre at very good points of the team and now a team that has been bowl eligible for I think seven years in a row six six or seven years in a row one of the two I know that they are one of 10 teams that have been bowl eligible for six years or longer. I can't remember if it's six or seven in a row. And then the Bobcats coming off three bowl victories in the last three appearances. The Bahamas Bowl in 2017, I think that would be the year. 2018, the Frisco Bowl. And this year, obviously, the Boise-Idaho Potato Bowl. Yeah, Frank's been the coach since 2005, so that puts him at year 15. So. Yeah, That's I a knew long time. It is a long time. But, yeah, Frank got a uh, much well-deserved two-year contract extension right before um, Ohio's bowl game in the uh, famous Idaho Potato Bowl. He's got two more years left. If that's it for him, it could be. But um, all indications is that he's he's happy. He's happy at Ohio. He's happy in Athens. And he wants to keep coaching football at age 75. So That's impressive. It is impressive. One thing to look forward to. Uh, we don't know if Frank Solich will still be coaching uh, the Ohio Bobcats, but I believe it was year 2025, Ohio goes to Nebraska to take on the Cornhuskers in a non-conference game 
I think it's I think it's 2025, 2025 or 2026. It's wild to think that we're talking about a scheduled football game that is going to take place over six over five years from now. But uh, if I had to guess, if a Frank Solich is not on the sideline for the Ohio Bobcats, he's going to be at that game. Definitely. I, I mean, I was expecting for them to like name the game like the Solich Cup or something like that, the Solich game, just because he has the relation to Nebraska. It's kind of like the Battle of the Bell with Marshall, right? Granted, it's with Nebraska, but the two coaching positions within the schools, I think, would be a really good way to keep them connected. Ohio gets the broadcast money. Nebraska gets what they could consider an easy win because they're a Power 5 school. They have the whole history with Frank Solich. It would just be a wholesome event for both teams. Granted, it would have to flip between back and forth of Nebraska and Ohio, but I think the power of Frank Solich really has potential between marketing and the team and a cup. Imagine if you're him being named the Frank Solich Cup. That would I'd feel pretty pretty special after that if that would be a thing. So I'm excited. I thought it was a little too far out, but who knows? It gets crazy with college football. It does. College football teams, they schedule games. I guarantee, I don't know this for 100% sure, but I guarantee that at some point in the next year, the Ohio Bobcats are going to have a scheduled game that will take place in 2030. Would not be surprised. That's 10 years from now. And then there's a very good chance, I think 2028 is how far Ohio has scheduled out. That was as of last year. But uh, the fact that you can schedule a game out for 2030, 10 years from now, is just mind-boggling. I feel like it's absolutely absurd that college football is that far advanced and they want to schedule games that far in ahead because you never know what's going to happen. One, in your program. One, in the opposite program. And two, and three, what's happening in the world at that point. It's a business. It's a business. It is It is a business, as uh, some people would like to disagree with that. But, no, it, it's, a, it's going to be really cool for Frank – Regardless of if he's coaching or not, most people believe that he will not be coaching Ohio in 2026. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a great— He'd be 81. He would be 81 going on 82. Um, he would have to really have a lot left in the in the tank to, to do that. But I, it's going to be an honor for him to be recognized for two programs that he has spent majority of his career with. So for him, I'm sure that he will be there as a fan— and that'll be a really special moment for both programs. My favorite Frank Solich story is that every single time, not every single time, most of the times, his office is up on the, I think that's the fourth floor, either the fourth floor or the fifth floor of the tower at Peden Stadium. He takes the elevator down to the third floor, which is the top of the bleachers of the tower. That's where that connects. Walks down the bleachers, doesn't walk around the bleachers to get to the field. He jumps down from the bleachers to the field. Really? More than 50% of the time is what uh, Mike Ashcraft told me. More than 50% of the time, Frank Solich jumps down from the bleachers to the field instead of walking around. Wow. That kid's, he's got a lot left in the tank, if I had to guess <laughs> with that one. He does. I don't even want to do That's that. That's impressive for 75? Dang. I hope I can be like that when I'm 75. Jumping w- from bleachers to the main field? I wouldn't want to do it now when I'm 20. Yeah. So that's a different – he's obviously a little bit of a different animal than us. but He is, yeah. And and that's kind of – I learned that a lot of these players do appreciate and love playing for him. And I I know a lot of them were first happy when they heard the news that he was getting the contract extension and um, because a lot of these seniors felt guilt because they wanted to be the group to get him a a MAC championship to get this program and and team a MAC championship. I know that's – one of the biggest regrets that Nathan Rourke has leaving Ohio was not being able to accomplish that with Frank. So I definitely think that Solich is motivated. He wants to try and get to Detroit again and win it. Um, and wouldn't it be some story if Curtis Rohr comes in, wins the starting job, and finishes what his brother started? That would be something special if that were to happen. A storybook ending. It would be. That would be uh, what I'd like to call that. Um, More like a brother dynasty to say the least. That, that could also be something that could be pretty incredible, what the two Rourke brothers could possibly do in their time here at Ohio. A quick couple, about four or five minutes, we're going to talk about some baseball. MLB spring training has started. I know that everyone has, I mean, it's spring training. No one really pays attention the first three weeks. It's a lot of games where the favorite players of everyone get two at-bats in the game, and then they just stop. 
But I don't want to talk about the spring training. I want to talk about your guys' favorite teams and what you expect. So we're going to start with me because I know that I'm the outlier in this situation, I believe. I know Jake's an Indy fan, Indian, Indians fan. I know Claire's an Indians fan. I don't know what you, Tommy's fan. I'm an Indians fan as well. So I'm the outlier. I'll be different here. But I am a White Sox fan. Being from Illinois, the White Sox, a lot of moves over the uh, the winter and the offseason and a lot of positivity going into the White Sox this season in spring training and obviously once the regular season begins. I want to start it off. We're going to – I know that you two – you three actually – probably have a favorite player but I want to ask you what player you think is going to make the most impact on your guys's team this season and why I'll uh, start you want to start sure I'll start I'll start just because I'm different okay. just because I'm a White Sox because you're special <laughs> I think obviously White Sox fan most people might not know who I'm talking about but I believe it's actually going to be Yohan Moncada. Yohan Moncada was a player that the Bob that the Bobcats that the White Sox <laughs> traded for in the Chris Sale to the Red Sox trade. They received Yohan Moncada and Michael Kopech, two players that should get a lot of time with the MLB squad this year. Yohan Moncada made a gigantic jump from his first season in the MLB, hitting right around 200, leading the league in strikeouts. Not something you want to lead the league in. To hitting 290 last year. He was very inconsistent at points just because he was injured at points, but he turned into a player that the White Sox can have lead off, and he's a guy that gets on base. I believe his on-base percentage was close to 420, 430 last year, which is incredible for a uh, leadoff man. And he's a guy that's going to start off a lineup for the White Sox that he could turn into an MVP, MVP candidate type guy because he has the power, he has the speed, and he has everything. But I don't know. Jake wants to go next. I'm, I'm going to make Jake go next. I'm not here. You're not here. You're right here. I can hear you. Um, you know who's going to make a big impact for the – well, I'm going to go yeah, – Try and pick, I, try I and go pick last. people different. I want to go last. Okay, then okay. Tommy can go. Try to um, pick three people different. Sure. I don't want to pick the same people. So I, I think for a lot of Indians fans, obviously the number one concern was would they move Francisco uh, Lindor, but – um, talks have been encouraging. They're trying to lock him down um, if this team wants to compete for World Series this year. But to your original question, I, I think it's more or less not maybe somebody new, but I think for this Indians team, they traded Corey Kluber. They traded Trevor Bauer. Um, for pitching, I really think Shane Bieber is going to step up once again and do what he did towards the end of last year. Um, him, Clevenger's out six to eight weeks with an injury. Carlos Carrasco's day-to-day. So I think Shane Bieber's going to have to be a – I think he's going to be one of those quiet, elite, maybe not ace, but he's going to be a strong number two. And he's going to have to be that guy for this rotation because uh, Carrasco, as we know, coming back from his great story, Clevenger was is the so-called ace of this rotation. But I really do think it's going to – be what Shane Bieber can do is that strong number two behind Clevenger. Claire. All right, so my favorite player just got traded to the Cubs to finish his career in Chicago, and that was Jason Kipnis, and that what? makes me so sad. Ugh. Okay, I was a second baseman growing up playing in high school ball, so I automatically adored Jason Kipnis because we played the same position, and I liked how he did the shoe toss every year. Anyways, I think Frankie's just going to be the, the level-headedness for this team because he's what – in addition to Bieber and Clavenger, but especially for the infield, him and Santana are going to be what your anchors are just because there's so much switch up within the infield. And the outfield's going to have some changes too just because Kipnis was playing center field at some points last season. And I only believe Frankie's going to do what he's going to do because he said in press releases and there's articles about him saying he wants to bring a title home to Cleveland. And that's a little promising just coming from him knowing that he doesn't want to be bought out of a contract and then switch to some other team. So hopefully they can put it together. But with a lot of changes, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out through spring break. Or not spring break, through spring training. Can you tell I have break on my mind? Jake, real quick here. (laughs) I think Jose Altuve, because he's going to be wearing a wire, he's going to smash all the Indians pitching. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to ignore that. But I do want to comment about that a little bit, that – through five games, I believe is the number now. The Astros have no, it's four at the beginning of the day. Nine hit by pitches in their first <laughs> four games. Oh boy! We'll bring back basketball. This is Sports Beat.
Sportsbeat, 1340 WUB. Bobcats basketball with Tommy Garbrick and Jake Armada is their next segment as we're going to start off with the men's basketball team. The last time they were at home was Tuesday as the Bobcats defeated Buffalo, who was 17-10, and 10, excuse me, 18-9, and 9, and... 9-5 and five in the Mid-American Conference. Bobcats 80-69 to 69 victory as Ohio evens it up at 14-14 and 14 on the season, 6-9 in the Mid-American Conference as they snapped a six-game losing streak to Buffalo. And, Tommy, it was a game where the Bobcats, the first, I believe it was 7.5 to 8 minutes, did not allow a point to Buffalo. They were up, I believe, the... Before they scored, it was 15. I was going to say, ask Jake. He was on the call. Yeah, fi- was uh, it 15 yeah. to nothing? It was 18. It was 18 to nothing. It was 18 to nothing. And they led by 19, 22 to 3. Yeah, I knew that's incredible. The fact that you can give up three points, and I'm guessing 22 to 3 was probably right around the 10 minute mark. It was, yeah. I think, it's, I think yeah, it was 12, and according and to. As soon as Buffalo scored, I think the men's team scored right after that. So Yeah, probably about the probably 12 minute My mark. Memory's a bit hazy, sorry. The fact that you can get eight minutes of basketball and only allow three points to a team that was top four in the Mid-American Conference shows what this team has been able to do at certain points. And, Jake, I know you were on the call filling in for Russ Eisenstein for that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Roderick, career high, 21 points, 6 of 8 from 3, 7 of 9 from the field in his first career start at the Convocation Center to help lead the Bobcats. And I know that Tommy... You personally know Ben Roderick on a relatively decent level, being at the same high school with Roderick. And this is actually really, really nice to see from him because everyone knew who he was coming into this year, mm-hmm. being the Gatorade Player of the Year in Ohio, had to suffer through two injuries the first half or so of the season. And now, finally, it seems like we are seeing what Ben Roderick can finally do on the court. Yeah, great kid, great family. I did a story about Ben committing to Ohio because he's one of the more high-profile commits that – uh, the Bobcats have gotten in quite some time, and it's because, you, as you mentioned, Luke, he was the Ohio Gatorade Player of the Year. And, yeah, it's been a tough season for Ben because he, he's gone down with multiple injuries. But, yeah, Tuesday he really flashed what he can do when he's healthy. I mean, knocking down the three, that's just a part of his game. And once he starts to get more opportunities, be able to do and space the floor, this team is so better off for it. That's why Ohio was able to win this game in comfortable fashion because – at different points of the season, this Bobcat team has struggled because they've had to lean so much on uh, Jason Preston, the three ball from Jordan Dardis, and the, the post play from Ben Vanderpost. But when you get that kind of production, 21 points from Ben Roderick, that's going to elevate this team. They've won four of six, and they easily could have be, could be five of six if it wasn't for a last-second shot against Bowling Green. So I think for a lot of teams heading into Cleveland, this is a team you do not want to face right now. This is a team that... I can't remember the number from what uh, Jeff Bowles' press conference was, but after their loss to Ball State, they were 284th in defensive efficiency in the NCAA. Since then, they are now 200 and I think it was 204, 206. And it shows you what this team can do defensive, defensively when they finally put their mind to playing defense. And I know there's points where this season that Jason Preston has actually taken – Jeff Bowles to the side telling him that he believes that this team would be very successful if they pressed. That's what happened in the Miami game. That's what happened in the Bowling Green game at the first part of the game. That's what happened, it seemed, at some points in this game against Buffalo, too, because this team was very, very good on defense for the first eight minutes. And if a team, like Tommy said, if this team can do that in Cleveland, I don't think anyone wants to see them. The fact that you get shut out for eight minutes and Ohio is up 18 to nothing and you now have 32 minutes to get up, to get back 18 points, I don't think anyone wants to see this team at all. This is a team that can shoot. This is a team that has Jason Preston that seems like he can do almost anything. Sylvester Odbonda has really turned into a middleman where he can play great defense, averages, I think it's like 7.5 rebounds on the year, but if you go into his Mid-American Conference stacks, it's close to 9.5. And, and this is a team that it's really turned into a matter of everyone is playing perfect at the right time and this is a team that like Ben Roderick like I said Sylvester Arbonne Jordan Dart is finally getting his opportunity because people are opening up the floor for him he's able to get shots out Connor Merle finally out of the the injury bug Miles Brown even coming in for this team and, and showing a lot on this offensive side and defensive side and 
This is a team that I don't think – I mean, realistically, coming into the season, pick to finish last in the Mid-American Conference. No one thought this team would be even making it to Cleveland. This is a team that can host a Mid-American Conference playoff game to make it to Cleveland, and this is a team that can make a run in Cleveland, I fully believe, if they keep on playing like they have been, shooting 45% from the field and giving up only 69 points in a game because this is a team that it seems now it was a matter – at the beginning of the season, it was a matter of can the Bobcats score more than 65 and give up less than 65. Now it's a matter of can the opponent – score as much as Ohio because of how good their defense has played in the last couple of games. In the last, I believe, is probably six games now since the Ball State game and when Jeff Bulls got them Dairy Queen, but that's a different story. <laughs> but this team, I feel like we've said it enough. We never knew what we were going to get. Jason Preston has turned into this this ultimate player that no one really knew was coming. Ben Vanderplas has developed even more from the Mid-American Conference Freshman of the Year to now as a redshirt sophomore. And for, I mean, for him, 14 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists in that Buffalo game. And now this is a team that looks forward to Friday, tomorrow, taking on Kent State in a game that's on CBS Sports Network at 6.30. And it's senior night. The biggest thing for me now as a, a fan and a media member, senior night, Jordan Dardis' final game in the convo, you can't really expect him to not do something special. Oh, I'm sure he will. And Ohio played Kent a couple weeks ago, lost 87-72. Kent, I, I'm going to have to do a quick double check. I think they hit like 17 threes in that game. Uh, the Golden Flashes were 17, unconscious. 17 of 31, I think, 17, number. Man, i got, I got to give myself more credit for memory. Um, but, yeah, seven, I mean, I don't expect them to shoot that well again. And I think that since Ohio has been playing so well as of late, especially inside the combo, I, I like the Bobcats' chances as long as they can continue to get – stable production outside of guys like Preston because that has been the kryptonite for this Bobcat team and and Coach Bowles has acknowledged that that when teams are able to key on Jason Preston and kind of take him out of allowing him to be the facilitator to be the man who runs the show that's where the Bobcat offense gets stagnant but guys like Ben Roderick continue to knock down shots that's going to open up the floor like you mentioned Luke and yeah I, I like their chances to get the job done if if Ohio wants to host a home game, they need to win this game because they play at Akron, who is in second place in the MAC. That is a tough place to play. I don't think Ohio will win that game. And then the Bobcats conclude the regular season with Miami, who is at the bottom of the Mid-American Conference. That is a very winnable game. But for Ohio, they do lose the tiebreaker with Toledo because they did just lose a home game to them a couple weeks ago. So um, for Ohio to most likely host a first-round game, Ohio is the nine seed. If you are either the 5, 6, 7, or 8 seed, you get to host. They are the 9. So right now, Ohio would be playing in Toledo. It looks like Ohio is going to have to win 2 of 3 and need Toledo to lose 2 of 3 because they lose that head-to-head tiebreaker. It's, I mean, it's going to be something we have to watch as we get down to the very end of this Mid-American Conference. But now, also at the very end of the Mid-American Conference schedule, the Ohio Bobcats women's team, Jake Romano, went from the... Bobcats men's team on air to the Bobcats women's team in Bowling Green at the Stroh Center last night. And, Jake, it was a game that everyone expected the Bobcats to win, but the Bowling Green Falcons, 82-68 victory over the Bobcats as the Bobcats fall to 17-9 and 10-5 and in the Mid-American Conference. And this was a game that I don't know if many people didn't realize this had even a chance that the Bobcats wouldn't win this game, but... I mean, Bowling Green, 52% from the field, 41% from three. And I can't remember her name right now. Um, Madison Parker, 7 of 11 from a three with 21 points. And it just it seems like the, the story continues. The Bobcats just continue to get the best performance from every single team. I think it's – right now, it's, these last two games especially, it's, it's just defense. I mean, I think the Bobcats know how good they were playing against Toledo and Miami. And all of a sudden, I just think they kind of – took a little break you know what I mean and they see their opponents after Miami and Toledo and they go oh Akron oh okay they're I mean Akron and and BG some of the worst teams in the MAC East and it's just looking I don't want to say it's looking too far ahead maybe that I mean Bob Bolden he was asked that question today and um, he said that's probably a a light or I guess a a lovable excuse I mean something you could just fall in love with and be like "Yeah, yeah that's totally it but I think they really need to look themselves in the mirror and question whether or not they're putting forth their their complete 
effort into every single day. I mean, having all the talent in the world is great until you get somebody that's working harder than you every single day. And, I mean, Bowling Green has nothing to lose. They're just going to go in and play every game, right? I mean, they're, they're dead last in the MAC. And they just came into the stroll yesterday and they played. And look what they did. They put up season-high crazy numbers. And... And I'll say this too: it's not just about any, like just Bowling Green, and you can have the worst team and the best team. Whoever's making the shots early, whoever's establishing their confidence is high early. I mean, it's going to be tough to beat that team, and Bowling Green did that yesterday. I mean, they just watching the first quarter, you could tell that Ohio was just all out of sorts. Something was wrong, and it was definitely on the defensive side of the ball. And they have to fix it. They have to buckle down because I mean, you have you have three regular season games left. It's it, you know, teams are going to learn how to expose you, and with the tournament right around the corner, I mean, you, you got to figure it out. You, you have to figure it out um, if you want to, um, I guess per se, complete your unfinished business from last year. I think something else that this team really needs to focus on is the chemistry and going into that game. I remember rewatching the interview that Tommy did with. Uh, media availability and he was asking about the trap game and Bolden was repeating himself that it's n- it's hard to beat a team twice especially in the Mid-American Conference and that he was they were traveling to their home court essentially those wins were on their territory in the convo and Athens they were comfortable where they were playing and traveling is always a different scheme because you're with their fans you're on their home court they know the environment you're walking into unfamiliar territory granted those girls have been there before, and that should be an excuse. It's basketball. It's basketball regardless of what court you play on it. But all of the surrounding factors going into it don't help, in addition to the loss against Akron a couple of days prior to that. So the two back-to-back losses, am I surprised? Yes, especially just because he said this shouldn't be a trap game for us in the interview. But they just need to pull it together before they go to Cleveland, especially because they've dropped in the rankings just by one I mean, the MAC is crazy, and every day Jake posts. If the MAC tournament were to start today from the MAC, from the official um, Mid American Conference Twitter, they've dropped a three. Ball State took over at two, and Central's just up at one, still sitting pretty. But things could change within an instant, so they need to figure out how to defensively get things together and not start off so slow and let people take advantage of it. It's a team that we knew what they had coming in, and Jake, we know that. The, quote, unfinished business, everyone knew it coming in, was a matter of they believed that they were eligible for the NCAA tournament as an at-large bid last year after falling to Buffalo in the Mid-American Conference tournament. Yeah, and funny you mentioned last year. um, Because I think last year was just different from a mindset of, so two years ago when a lot of the juniors were freshmen and Erica didn't play because she redshirted, right? They were learning. I mean, they were learning the game. They didn't. They, they they knew that they had to learn. Last year, they take all the experience that they learned from two years, well, the year prior, and they just play ball and look what happens, right? Now you come into this year, you come up short. You have this mentality. Okay, we want to go finish this, whatever, whatever. And now all of a sudden, there's a tagline. There's a motto for this year. There's you know boosting the marketing effort, and there's you know, now you're the, the preseason favorites for both the regular season and the tournament. And holy crap, you know, I mean, th- th- those are just some distractions. And I don't want to make, I, I don't want to say that this team's distracted by all that, but it is a different mentality going into the season when you know how talented you are and when you know you need to prove yourself. And I think a lot of teams around the MAC knew that they needed to prove themselves. Ohio just kind of knew that they were the talented team, but this conference doesn't come and just don't get handed things to you in this conference. I mean, you have to work every single day because, I mean, like we've seen the last two games, things happen. And, I mean, anything can really happen in, in this conference. That's why it's one of the best mid-major, you know, conferences all across the country when it comes to basketball. So, um, yeah, they, they dropped to the three. Ball State's got Central Michigan uh, coming up. That's going to be a big one-two uh, contest. Buffalo, they, they struggle on the road. I mean, they're five and six on the road this year. Um, for whatever reason in conference play, they just can't seem to get it together. Um, excited to see Deja Fair. Uh, we didn't see her last time. Uh, the Bobcats went up to Western New York. Uh, she scores 21 points a game. Uh, you're going to have also Teresa and Luca, who's crazy good from a year ago. Um, also Hannah Hall, who, who hurt Ohio in the championship last year too. But, um, yeah, I mean – 
sometimes when you have a different kind of mindset going into a season from just playing ball a year ago now to expectations, it can it can weigh on you a little bit. And when things aren't going your way, now you have to try and find yourself, right? So I think um, um, you have a couple. Bobcats have a couple days. They have three games to, to really find themselves, and they got to turn it up in Cleveland. Turn it up in Cleveland is the perfect way that the Bobcats are able to make the NCAA tournament. And turn it up in Cleveland is it's the only way at this point. It is. Yeah, I it's mean, the only way. Everyone believed that at the start of the season that this team had the non-conference schedule to possibly get an at-large bid. That was the point of scheduling Texas. Mm -hmm. That was the point of scheduling TCU. But now with this schedule and the way that the Bobcats have performed, it's a matter of they have to win the MAC tournament. They have to. Yeah, I think with one conference loss, they were okay. I mean, the one to Western Michigan, everybody was – we were all kind of dramatic about it on the bus. We were like, oh, man, now we got to – you know, but – um, once they slowly started winning against other teams, you saw that RPI creep up, creep up to the mid to low 40s, and you say, oh, okay, with a pretty favorable back end of our schedule, you should feel pretty good about maybe going to the championship against Central Michigan, losing to a team that has an RPI of 15, and maybe being in that conversation. And, and I mean, going into the Akron game, Ohio was Charlie Cream's first four teams out. I mean, imagine if they kept winning. They probably would have snuck into his last four in. You don't know. But, um, yeah, they, I mean, you shoot yourself in the foot these last two games, and now you're really, really putting the pressure on yourself and having to go through Cleveland without, I guess, a little bit of a backup plan. I don't know if that if those are the right words to say about it, but you at least have a, a net under you if you fell, right? Or you could at least put yourself in a position that in case that happens, you could at least get caught by a safety net and – I guess that's not that. There. Yeah, but it's not yeah. there anymore. You're going to hit the concrete and you're going to you're going to break. I mean, you're you're done. It's rock climbing at Ping without someone holding you up. Yeah, these yeah. next 3 games are huge cuz now all of a sudden Kent State's only a game behind Ohio and, and you go to Kent State and, and you go to Kent State next Wednesday and yeah, for Ohio they're sitting at the 3 and that's a very there it, there's a huge difference from being the 3 seed to the 4 seed because then you're looking at facing Central in the semifinal game rather than having to avoid Central until the championship game. So for Ohio, these next three games are going to go a long way because if they win out, they hold on to the three. They might get the two, depending on if uh, how Ball State fares with Central this weekend. But, yeah, I mean, just a reminder, last year Ohio got blitzed by Buffalo in the combo. Uh, this around this time last year, they lost by 30. I mean, Buffalo was unbelievable in that game, and then Ohio won their next five, got to the championship game, and then ended up losing to Buffalo. So plenty of time for this team to figure it out. I think the biggest thing that's got to be on Bob Bolton's mind is they went from playing arguably their best defensive performance against Toledo, giving up 58 points. They were unbelievable in the second half defensively to now giving up 79 and 82 against the teams of like BG and Akron. And, and some of that is just like Jake said, those teams were just hitting shots. So, yeah, it's just a matter of for Bob and, and that team is just cleaning some of that stuff up. It's interesting because <laughs> Brian Kerb talked to Bob today, and apparently Brian told me that uh, the team did not take any shots today. They ran. They ran. So um, maybe this is the, the wake-up call that, hey, if they if they want to win the next three, three regular season games and then go on a three-game run in, in Cleveland and make an NCAA uh, – Run they gotta they gotta buckle down now. So I will say this, <clears throat> and being in this tournament in Cleveland, things are wild. Things happen at I guess now Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Um, it's the cue. Geez, in the last three years we've had a, <laughs> a name change. My gosh. Um, beside beside the point, Central Michigan and Ball State historically haven't been great. I mean, Central Michigan's won the champ. They've won the tournament once. They beat Buffalo. In a, no wait, sorry. No, but I know they've they've won it once. Ball State hasn't been; they haven't sniffed the semifinals in a, a long time. Um, if Ohio does have one thing, I think as an advantage going into Cleveland is that they were in the championship a year ago. I think so. Um, Kent State, it's I mean, got to be an advantage. It, it, it ha- Whether you believe in that theory or not, I mean, I guess five years ago now, the 2014-15 team that won the tournament, they didn't have any tournament experience. They somehow pulled it out. So um, whether you believe in the experience or not, but, um, yeah, that's it. Bobcats both at the Convocation Center this weekend. Friday, the men take on Kent State at 6.30. Saturday, the women take on Buffalo at 1 o'clock. This has been Sports Beat. We're going to bring on Joey Medore and Alex Porter to talk local high school basketball. This is Sports Beat.
Sportsbeat 1340 WB. Joey Medora, Alex Porter in the studio as we're going to talk some local high school basketball. And Alex, a big game last night for the Federal Hockey Lancers as they won their first sectional championship since, I believe, 2007. 2007, correct. correct. 2007, I was eight. Uh, that kind of puts in perspective how long ago that was. 13 years since the Federal Hockey Lancers had won a sectional title as they defeated Waterford and will now move on to take on Ironton St. Joseph Central as St. Joseph Central defeated Lucas Valley by three. And Alex, this is a team where I know that you guys didn't experience it. Four years ago, excuse me, like three and a half years ago now, Federal Hawking was 0-23 in basketball. They yep. didn't win a game, and there was a lot of games where they weren't even in. They weren't even competitive in a decent amount of them. And now this is a team that wins a sectional title, makes their way to districts, and it's all because of these two players. Hunter Smith, Bradley Russell, both have, are on that team that went 0-23. And now this is a team that you really can see them go very, very far because it's a team that, one, plays at a team, as a team, and two, has a lot of talent with a good coach. Right. Um, well, first of all, th- this Federal Hockey Lancer team, that from watch, I covered them last year for Hardwood. Um, they went 6-18, and 18, and this year it's just a complete 180. What Coach Jonathan Thompson has done with this team is just absolutely remarkable. It's his second year as head coach, and, and they were able to do this. And, yes, Hunter Smith and Brad Russell are the two – uh, if you have to identify those the the star players on that Lancer squad, it's those two guys. But in all honesty, they're a full cohesive group that plays for each other. And Coach Thompson always emphasizes it when I talk to him after the game. He can replace any starter out of that starting lineup and replace it with somebody off the bench, and they'll be just as good. I mean, they're from starting five all the way down to their last guy. They are a full team. So their success this season, it's it's remarkable to see. Um, and in their game against Waterford last night, they won 62-43. to And in two previous meetings uh, against the Wildcats, they beat them both by a healthy margin. So um, they were definitely the expected to win last night. It's great to see that this team that went 0-23, I think we've heard it a lot. I've said it a lot. I know a lot of people have talked about it this year. And this is a team that went from 0-23 to winning the sectional title. And you really don't see where this team can end. You don't know who they're going to play. We don't know what Irons and St. Joseph Central looks like. But they're a team that, like you said, they play as a team. And it seems like they are never going to be out of any game. It's incredible. I would have never thought this was going to happen. I would No chance that this team would have won a sectional title. You told me that my freshman year. I would have thought you were crazy. Mm-hmm. And now this is a team that, like we've said, they play as a team, and I just can't see them not winning. I mean, I've seen them play, I think, two times. And, yes, there's times where they let the other team go on a run. But this defense and this team, this I keep saying team, but this team, they play so good together that this it's almost like it's destiny. It's almost mm-hmm. like this team four years ago saw this coming as seniors that they would win a sectional title. I would have never thought it, but I know that Hunter Smith, Brad Russell, all of these players that are seniors, all of these players that experienced that 0-23 team, whether in the stands or on the floor, they knew this was coming. They knew what they had, and it's it's great to see it to come to fruition. Right, and what makes it all the more sweeter is that this past uh, football season, they had to cancel the season because they didn't have any enough uh, enough players. Excuse me. And, and some of the guys on the basketball team were part of the football team. So maybe that gave them more time to prep for the season. I, who, who knows what, what, the, what the secret to their success is. But that, that just makes it all the more sweeter. And, and they've, like you said, they've been going through that rough patch for the last X amount of years. And, and that senior class, Brad Russell, Quentin Basem, just to name a few, they, they experienced – the absolute low, not winning a game their freshman year, go, winning three games their sophomore year, six games last year, and now all all that, all those difficult times. It's 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 all the more worth it. And watching them cut down those nets last night and seeing everyone happy, it's it's definitely good to see. Especially um, the the community's gone through some tough tough moments this season. 
um, especially the, the the team as well, um, with some community things, uh, s- stuff surrounding a few certain players, family members. So it just it's it's a great success story, and uh, I know they're not satisfied with winning the sectional final because um, that's you know it's just the 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 beginning of the journey. So that they face up against as you mentioned Ireton St. Joseph Central at the Convocation Center. Uh, they haven't been able to play in the convo, so I'm sure that'll be a little bit um, nerve-wracking for them. But uh, I think they'll be ready to prep and ready to win, take take the team on. When is that? When What day is that? Uh, that game will be uh, on Monday, Monday at 8 o'clock. Yes. Another team playing in the Convocation Center, but it's actually this weekend. The Athens Bulldogs, as they will take on... Who they play? Logan Elm. Logan Elm. Logan Elm in the Convocation Center. And they have been um, there before. They have been memory. there before, yeah. And, but this is a Bulldogs team that, in my opinion, and I believe that a lot of people around this area would say that they necessarily they got lucky in the sectional. They, they defeat, got a favorable matchup. They got a very favorable <laughs> matchup. Destroying Marietta, and then they took on New Lexington, who beats Sheridan. Now they take on Logan Elm, who beat Jackson. So it's a matter of this team. It's it's looking very good for this team as they make their way into the districts because this is a team that they they knew they were good. They knew they could get that first win against Marietta. It was a matter of facing off against Sheridan, and if they defeated Sheridan, they'd have to fake off, face off against Jackson. Now they don't have to play either of those teams. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a crazy thing. This whole bracket is insane. The top four seeds have all lost. They've all lost. Fairfield Union got upset. Jackson upset. Sheridan got upset, and uh, I believe Uniota was the four seed. They all lost. It's 5-8 on the other side, uh, Waverly versus Warren, and then 6-7 Athens, Logan L. So this bracket's just it's just crazy. You don't want to be a higher seed, it seems like, in uh, in the game you play. But, yeah, I, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think when those brackets came out, you looked at Athens, you were kind of like, all right, well, we got Marietta. We played them close in the regular season. We Maybe we can win that game. And you're like, man, well, then we got to play Sheridan. Sheridan loses. And then you play New Lex. You're like, oh, we could beat New Lex. But then after that, we got to play Jackson. We lost Jackson by 30 last time we played them. They got upset. And... I mean, it wasn't a close game. Logan L beat them by 19. I mean, this team, as Athens is, Athens is playing really well right now when they have to the most, but Logan Elm's playing great. I mean, their two playoff matchups, they won 51-26 to over Miami Trace, and they just dominated Jackson, who was one of the top teams in Southeast Ohio. So they won by 25 and they won by 19. Yeah. I wouldn't want to face that team. No, they're, they're on fire. They also they played Zane Trace early in the year. Zane Trace, of course, uh, moved down to D3 this year, but they're number one seed down there. Only lost them by nine. It's going to be a good Logan Elm team. Athens got to play their best game, but I just think you look at the, how the teams you could have matched up with, and this is probably the best draw. I mean, imagine if Warren wins in the other game. Athens beat Warren by 13 this year if they're able to beat Logan Elm. you got to favor them in that matchup. Yeah, you can't not. I mean, it's a matter of the Athens Bulldogs have gotten very, very lucky when it comes to their draw in this sectional, even though when you saw it, in sectional and districts, even though when you saw it originally, you thought there's no way this team can make it to the Convocation Center. And if they do, they're probably going to no they're they're lose in that first right, game. One game past the Convocation mm. Center. And <laughs> the crazy thing is how they're doing it. I mean, we talk about Fedhawk, how deep they are. This is not a particularly deep Athens team. I mean, their five starters, are they have had zero bench points in both of their sectional playoff games. That's not a good com- uh, combination for wins, but it's happened the first no. two. And they're, they're playing extremely well. Uh, I mean, Brayden Marcus and Brayden Whiting, you can't say enough. I don't know if there's a better backcourt duo in the area right now because those guys are just lighting up the floor. you got Will Matters shooting the ball really well. Nate trainer has been a great facilitator of the offense. And uh, who am I missing? Yeah, so that's four. I know Isaiah, but though Isaiah Butcher is the only other name I know, and I know he hasn't played those two games. Yeah, that's right. Why do I, I know this. Trainer Morgans. Whiting. Whiting, three. <laughs> Matters, four. The other guy. <laughs> we know he's there. We can't think of his well. name. Jeez. We can picture him right now, but we do not know his name. Numbers are hard for us, obviously. Yeah, We're going to let Joey figure that out real quick because I know it's going to bother him until he gets it. It is going to bother me, but I will keep talking until I figure it out. But the thing is about this matchup, Athens, this team has been here before. Markins played on the team last year, went to the combo. Whiting played on the team last year, went to the combo. Reese Wallace played on the team and went to the combo. All these guys are coming back. Logan Elm didn't go to the combo last year. You know why? They lost to Athens in the sectional final in overtime, 43-40. So that's going to be an interesting aspect to this game, uh, a rematch of these two teams. You know Logan Elm's going to be one to getting revenge, and it might be a little sweeter, this being uh, it would be a trip to the district final rather than a, a sectional final. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, 
be interested to see what goes on. I do have a feeling Logan Elm's going to let their, you know, what they've had lit underneath them, fuel them going into this district game, especially after losing in overtime last year. This just sounds like a too-good-to-be-true moment for Logan Elm, and if they already beat Shriden, like, there's nothing to lose at this point. And I also think that the lower seed has been favored on all aspects of sectional and district play just because of what happened versus Alexander and Adina last week. Just to recap, basically Jim Kearns got ejected in the with six minutes left in the fourth quarter and Adina just took over with right. foul shots and tech shots and all of these kinds of just defensive moves that they were just getting out coached and outplayed. Granted, they had basically their whole town show up and half of Alexander's student section was there and it was a very interesting seed, but the 11 seed beat the 7 seed and it rang true for Adina to win sectionals and there was a whole story they had a hashtag on their t-shirt saying Smitty Strong so they were playing for someone on top of it so I think the underdog story has really rang true here with the sectional play right with the sectional playoffs down in southeastern Ohio and I wouldn't be surprised to see the narrative continue going into the convo while that is a fair argument by the way Andrew Stevens the other starter there we go anyway um we said the same thing about New Lex last week, I feel like. I said, I think everybody was like, yeah, I mean, Athens, of course, they beat Marietta, but we can't count out New Lex, and they trounced them, too, just as they did Marietta. Athens is playing really good right now. I mean, you can't count that out. Uh, and when they both, both, they absolutely destroyed Marietta, a team they lost to by two in the regular season, then they beat New Lex pretty comfortably. So Athens is playing really well, too, right now, as well. Um, so I don't think they're going to be scared of Logan Elm by any, by any stretch of the imagination. Mickey Kozart's a really good basketball coach. He was telling us after their new Lex win how people were picking them to finish fourth in the conference this year. They won it. This team is used to being the underdog, and if you count them out again, they're going to be ready to go. I guarantee you that. Butcher, yes or no on Saturday? I, I, I've asked around, and I have no definite answer. Um, I was. Do, t- would you even bring him back the way that this team has been playing That's, the last that's, that's games? a tough decision. Um, I mean, he's just so good, man. I, how do you keep him out if he's available? Especially with the lack of scoring depth they have, getting zero bench points in the two playoff games. That at least gives you a six-man on the bench. I agree with that. That's the one positive I can think of. Federal Hawking next week on Monday, 8 o'clock at the Convocation Center in Districts, Athens. This Saturday, 8 o'clock, correct? Yes, sir. 8.45 tip, actually. 8.45 tip in the Convocation Center for the Athens Bulldogs as the Bulldogs will take on Logan Elm. Bobcats also in the Convocation Center on Friday and Saturday. This has been Sports Thanks for listening to Sports Beat on WOUB 1340. You can listen back to the episode at Anchor FM forward slash WOUB Sports Beat, or you can catch the show on Twitter at Sports Beat WOUB.